Hi, I'm Reverend Grant Mansfield. And I'm Rabbi Andy Warmflash. And this This is Common Grounds. So what we're going to do now is to give you an opportunity um, to ask or comment in any way you want. So, let's start, yeah. So please comment on the current political trend in some states to want to tamp down or repress discussion in schools of, you know, the, um, the past and what this means, uh, there's a term about racism, and I forgot what the, like, institution, right, which is something I never heard when I was in school. So I don't even know if it's real, but if you would uh, comment on what you think that whole movement is really about. I think that we've come to a point at which, I I wanna come back to this idea of guilt, right? Uh, That we don't wanna make people uncomfortable. That's, that's kind of what's being, we can't also talk about sex and gender in school because it might make people uncomfortable. All of the, you know, it's ironic too because this is coming from the right, but the left also has been talking a lot about not making people uncomfortable. We need to have safe spaces, right? Um, you know, trigger warnings. We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable with what we're about to say. They should know, right? So this, there's this whole idea that we, shouldn't engage anything that makes people uncomfortable, Um, particularly when we're talking about something that has implications for how we live and how we should live. Um, So the unwillingness to grapple with our history means, of course, that we can't can't do anything to fix it. You know, I mean, we have to be willing to acknowledge at least what happened in the past. Yeah, and I think the reason why that's so hard, and I think it goes deeper than guilt, because I don't think some of these people feel guilt. I think it's shame. Shame. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, the shame and the fear of what they might uncover. Um, and I'll go into more of this, you know, at our next one. But it, again, you know, my family enslaved people on both sides. And, and having to wrestle with that legacy is really hard work to do. Most people don't want to enter into that, but it's the necessary piece. And you know, talking about history, I ponder if a lot of this anger and kind of pushback is because people's worldviews and the way that they've lived their life has been challenged, you know, particularly in the South. Um, but it's all over this country. But particularly in the South, when you've been raised up and told we've been a good, upstanding family, and you know, great, great grandfather so and so, great entrepreneur and business and all these things, and then someone comes poking around saying, "Yeah, but that was built on the backs of enslaved people," that all of a sudden challenges this worldview of, does that make my family evil and abhorrent? Does that, and so I think. To your point, it, we're, we're afraid to dive into it. 
And I think the reason why we're afraid to dive into it is because we're afraid we're going to lose something that we have, which is actual evidence of the fact that racism still exists because we, because we don't want to lose the privilege that comes with it. And so it really is a fear thing and a, a yeah, secret thing. Yeah, I think, you know, you see the same thing around this notion of white privilege, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, this white privilege thing, because I think we were very comfortable with talking about people being underprivileged. Mm -hmm. You know, that, was, that went down easily, you know. Oh, these poor people, they're underprivileged, we need to do something. But the idea that I am overprivileged, <laughs> right, that I, you know, that really does upset a certain worldview yeah. that we have about ourselves. It does. And, and the last thing I'll say on this is, because, you know, I think a lot of, you know, very conservative Southerners and Midwesterners get a, a, a heavy beating on this from the left, the political and progressive left. But, you know, in the three, so I'm married and my husband's African-American, we're an interracial gay couple. We have had more overt racist comments said to my husband or homophobic things said to me here in New Jersey than we ever did in Virginia. And so I think that's an important thing to name when we talk about these conversations, and Andy, you raised this about how it's, it, it, it comes on both ends. You know, here in Maplewood, South Orange, one of the conversations that's been having for several years now is the integration of our school system because it's been widely um, very segregated. And even in this town that's very diverse, within the first three weeks, someone, you know, said, oh, well, you, you've been in Maplewood. Have you been over to Maple Hood yet? Have you gone over the tracks? Wow. And it's, so these things are prevalent even in our systems and it's in subtle ways too, like to the integration of our school system, the way that that's being addressed is by intentional busing and spreading kids all over town. And you go on some of these Facebook conversations from parents and they're like, I'm all for integration, but why can't my child go to this closest school? Right. And it defeats the purpose, right? Of what are we willing to give up in order to, to make amends and to make this a more equitable space. So it, it really is a question of what are we afraid of losing? And I wonder if we reframed it to, instead of what might I lose, what might I gain hmm. from this? Yeah, I, I think it's about that sense of loss. I think that's true. But I, I also think that people feel unmoored. Hmm. You know, everything that I thought was a given is not a given anymore. And it's not just my family who I thought were upstanding citizens, and it turns out that they own slaves. Um, it's also, well, I thought I knew, you know, sex and gender were the same thing. <laughs> I, I, all of the things I thought that I lived in a time when massive diseases were conquered, and I did not have to worry about that. I, you know, and, and you can go down the line so that we're in a time when we're very, Everything is unstable. The ground is shifting. People, people want some sense of stability and mm -hmm. certainty. Um, and these issues, you know, undermine that. My question or build on some of what's been said is, I think in looking at things sometimes, it is important to talk about slavery and reparation but part of the discussion, I think part of the disconnect today and the pushback is there is 
Sometimes we talk about slavery as if, oh, well, the Civil War ended in 1865. Emancipation occurred. And we all just welcomed our Afri African-American brothers and sisters as fellow citizens. I think there's a lack of understanding. I think it's more about, and this is not, I'm not the religious expert, but to talk about it in a civic way and then, like, I guess, asking for the religious response to this, part of that discomfort today and that understanding not of guilt or shame, you know, whether or not I feel guilty or not, the fact is I benefited from a system that did not end in 1865 but continues to today. Mm -hmm. And part of the pushback on what is called critical race theory but is not strictly critical race theory is because that bridge is understood. So for me, reparations, like in a civic way, is not just about slavery. It's about the continued things, the benefits that I got maybe because my dad could benefit from the GI Bill when a black veteran couldn't, things like that that go on and on. Mm -hmm. And so I guess when I think about a spiritual response, I want to hear more about not just what our biblical traditions say about slavery, but in that broader justice con construct. Mm -hmm. That was one thing. And I just want to make one further comment not related. I want to end forever and all the false equivalence between something like a trigger warning and what's going on in some states. Because a trigger warning, if properly understood, is simply letting somebody know what content is coming so that if they have suffered from something like that, they can prepare themselves for a proper discussion. That is not the same as not teaching things. Though there are sensitivities on the left, but let's just end that because that is hurtful for those of us who absolutely, for our mental well-being, need trigger warnings. Thank you. I appreciate that comment. Um, and, and since I made the point, I'll, I'll clarify it a bit. I, I don't want to create a moral equivalence, but I do think that there is in some parts of both the far left and far right, uh, in, in unwillingness to have discussions about things you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's an attempt to keep those conversations from happening. Um, trigger, warning, trigger warnings are something a little bit, a little bit different from that. Yeah, yeah I, I also, I appreciate your bringing up this, the history piece and this idea that it wasn't all kumbaya <laughs> once the Civil War was over. Because, you know, part of our problem is, is that people don't know history, they know myth, mm -hmm. right? And we have this kind of myth about the Civil War. You know, I was struck by the fact that these, you know, these monuments, which they're taking down now, thank God, with great deal of controversy, you know, Robert E. Lee and other figures, Confederate figures, they weren't put up after the Civil War. <laughs> no, early 1900s. <laughs> right, right. They were put up. They were put up. You know, at the time the Ku Klux Klan was was raging through the country in, in the 20th century, right? And and so you know that whole myth about how that was we we fixed that, <laughs> and we're all on the same. We were all on the same page, and we fixed it. Um, I I went to. Um, we went to Austin some years ago, and there's a monument in front of the Texas Capitol 
Um, and it talks about, you know, the war of northern aggression, right? And how, you know, to use that language as though that's what the Civil War was, as though it didn't have to do with slavery, you know, to this day, in front of the Capitol, and I asked our tour guide, so, you know, um, it, do people object to this? And she said, well, you're in Texas. <laughs> that was, and she was, she was the tour guide in the Capitol, you know, but, but uh, it's not, you know, the idea that kind of it's over and done and it's certainly not. It, it, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I would like to address what you, you named and uh, asked a little bit more on in terms of what scripture, what our faith says about how we address justice. And the reason why we both agreed that it was important to start with what is a scriptural understanding, what does enslavement and slavery look like in scripture, it's because, for better or for worse, it is scripture where, at least in this country, the rootness of this came out of that. And that's not saying that slavery in the form that took comes directly out of it, but people took and twisted it. And I think understanding, particularly for the church, what, what the Apostle Paul and what Jesus taught around these things and how they used the reality of their world to try and subvert it, I think that's very important in being able to push back against what we see in modern day conversations. You know, Particularly in the church, you know, you, you, you put the word evangelical out there and people automatically jump to conservative Christian from the South or the Midwest. And with that becomes a, comes a particular way of interacting with God that is not necessarily reflective of, in my personal opinion, what Scripture embodies and what large swaths of the church outside of those evangelical, very Protestant areas, not all, but some of them, um, exhibit. You know, we, we hear in those very personalized connections, right, of it's the one-on-one -on -one with God. So, like, I've got my soul right with God. I've been saved from hell. I'm good. And my what happened before I existed doesn't matter because in their theology, it's about the here and the moment and the saving of souls versus traditions like the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, a lot of your more liturgical um, parts of it. We look at our faith, not just on an individual level, but on a collective yes. level. And, and that is a very different worldview and a very different understanding of God. And so when we look at the continued struggle we see, whether or not people use the language of Christianity or not, these are things that have gotten soaked into these communities and has formed them um, on both the left and the right. Um, and, and so... It, I think to not talk about faith in general as a part of this, it, it leaves out a large part of it. We can't address this without addressing these inconsistencies. You know, it strikes me also that we've left something out of this conversation, mm. which is much more positive if you think about enslaved people who looked at Scripture and drew inspiration Mm -hmm. from the story of Moses and the Israelites and coming out, right, and, and got strength from that, right? Yeah. So, so it, you know, it cuts both ways. It, it does. Right? Well, and speaking of cutting, let, let's talk about one of the historical things. I meant to name this on the other 
end of this, but how masters of those who were enslaved in this country, they were all about teaching the enslaved people about Christianity, but they would chop bits out of it. They would literally cut out the bits that challenge <laughs> what's going on. So when we, again, looking at this, if this, this isn't of God, this isn't of what is meant, because there's already this self-editing of what right. God is proclaiming. Right. You don't want them to read Exodus too carefully. Oh, no, not at all. But thank God for it, because because of that, we have the existence of such a strong, robust, theologically beautiful black church tradition that comes right out of that, which is mm. amazing. Maybe we have time for one more yeah. comment or question, if anyone has one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining um, that accountability is going to be coming up in, in um, the next section, because when you're talking about examining your past mm -hmm. and what you thought to be true and then what you learned that was quite different, mm -hmm. and then if you talk about accountability, then where does that leave me? How do I define myself, my family, my world? Mm -hmm. What's, where's my responsibility in all of this, even if it's many generations later? Mm -hmm. And I know that I think that's that's where this becomes so political in so many ways because it can be very inconvenient to be accountable mm, for yeah. some people. We haven't put the outline together for the next one, so we'll include that. Yeah. Definitely so. It, yeah, it, it would naturally fit into that as that, well. That is helpful. Yeah. Um, we can do another comment or yeah. question. Thank you. Um, so my perspective is shaped by the fact that I just spent about 12 days in France. And you look at the history of France with the complete confluence between church and power and this constant like destruction and extractive power that of course built beautiful cathedrals, but my gosh, it was the, it corrupted, a corrupted humanity and a corrupt interpretation of faith. And of course that evolved into looking at World War II and the Shoah and the, the Holocaust and France's role and justification of its Vichy. I mean, it, it was a very disturbing trip in many ways. And you return and talking about enslavement in this country, it was about power. And I look at our institutional church, we were the church of the empire, the Episcopal church was the church of the empire. It was the power that corrupted us, that made us twist scripture and turn it into a justification for enslavement. I'm curious from a faith perspective, Rabbi, as you were speaking about the Jewish tradition, was there such a corruption of the institution um, in order to justify power and those who had power? Um, I, I would say no, um, because Judaism is not hierarchical, in, you know, in, in other words, yes, there were chief rabbis in various places, um, but fundamentally, we think of ourselves as being a part of a large community, but there's a great deal of autonomy, um, you know. Every synagogue has a rabbi who is the authority for that synagogue. We don't have, you know, we don't have bishops, we don't have popes, we do, so, as a result, um, I don't think, you know, and, and the other thing is, and, and we talked about this in one of our podcasts, right? Jews, to use Christian language, don't, you know, evangelize, 
right? We're, we're not on a mission to make everybody else in the world look like us or believe what we do, right? So that kind of you know, cultural imperialism, right, it just isn't there. Um, which is not to say we're better <laughs> for it, but we just, because we're, as a community, we're, we're extraordinarily diverse and we are not hierarchical, um, we, we haven't had that power that we could exploit. Mm. And in fact, the problem for Jews throughout millennia is that those who had that power often hated us, <laughs> did anything they could to kill us. Right, so in some, I mean, one of the, I don't want to talk about Israel, right? But one of the reasons why it's so important to Jews, not all, but many, that Israel exists and has an army is that there is power and therefore protection. Right? There's a place where Jews can go and where they can be protected and there are those who will fight for them. Um, all of that. Right? And, and with all of its attendant problems, by the way, because with power comes responsibility and everything. I don't want to get into politics of Israel at all, but we've been, for millennia, powerless people. Right? So we couldn't be imperialist because we didn't have the power. Maybe we would have if we could have. We're no better than anyone else in terms of our humanity, right? But no, we didn't. Hmm. When you both started, you made it very clear that both of your traditional scriptures uh, are very much against uh, slavery mm -hmm. as it existed uh, in America. Mm -hmm. And although they did change things, they corrupted things, they cut things. Yeah. So while what you're saying, I understand that it is not a hierarchical. So there wasn't uh, like the comment she made, there wasn't some sort of a, you know, a widespread Jewish viewpoint of of uh, you know approving or condoning slavery, you must admit. Uh, I mean, there were many Jews in Atlanta and in Georgia, so I'm just curious to know. You know, they must have been you know somehow corrupting. I mean, they were members of their synagogue. Their synagogues themselves were being built on lots and lots of yes. money that was being produced by tobacco and and slaves and, and cotton. So I'm curious. You know, you can't really. Uh, excuse me, upon whitewash the whole thing no. went in the south. <laughs> whitewash was, is the right word. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was clearly, um, you know, uh, they were not taking the, the strictness of, say, the Jubilee year, et cetera, that slavery no, is no, going not, to be. No, not at all. Um, no, I, I, and I, that's in some ways where we started. I, um, what you don't have is that kind of imperial power Right, but it's clear that you know there were Jews on both sides in the Civil War. There were Jewish plantation owners. There were Jewish slave owners and slave traders. Uh, not not all that many. We like to point to and say, right? Not all that many, but there were, yeah. right? And they were considered reputable members of their religious communities, right? They weren't ostracized. There wasn't. So, you know, and they were, they lived in a place where the economy was built around cotton and they had big plantations and yeah. Well, and I'd like to add to that too, because 
and I appreciate that you raised this, right, because there is a tension between when you have institutional power to corrupt in the individual. And I think it's important to name that in this country, um, no matter what our faith tradition is, we're kind of all involved in it. You know, we talk a lot about um, uh, enslavement of Africans here in the United States. We focus primarily on the South. But slavery was more ubiquitous in the North because more people would have one or two enslaved people than huge plantations. And when we look at the economic powers, even if you never enslaved someone, you have this tie-in with the economy where the reason why New York got all the money that it did was because it was trading with the South and, and trading uh, you know, across the, the, the triangle. And so I do think that there is that economic piece, but I also agree with you, I think, when we're looking at the, the the, the Jewish synagogue and the Christian church, there's no question which one had more power and authority. Um, and, and even in how we perverted, I think, Jewish texts, like w one of the primary texts that was used by Christian slave owners goes back to Genesis, and it's that moment with Noah and, yes. his, and his children, and they took this, this what, what I consider, you know, this, this larger story that's talking about um, Israel's relationship with other nations around and, and, and origin understandings. And Tolkien said, all right, well, Ham, we're going to make black, and that represents Africa and servant of servants. Again, so like that perverting in a way that only a religious community associated with political power could do without repudiation even from the communities that own those and came out of them. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a tension, but they're both there. But I do think we need to designate, or at least name, that there is a power difference within that, while I think we're all complicit within this country of it as well. And I think that's a good moment on which to end. <laughs> um, so we're looking forward to two weeks from tonight. Uh, at B'nai Shalom in West Orange, where we will continue and deepen this discussion and get really into the heart of the question which faces us um, as Americans, mm -hmm. as religious Americans, but as Americans in terms of what, if anything, to be done about reparations. Yeah. Thank you all yeah. for being here. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs>